No, you don't remain a sinner and a fool and just go to heaven anyway. Changing our lives is possible. Growing and learning is possible. Holiness is possible for sinners and fools. Why? How? Because in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Welcome back to Theology at the Eucharistic Table podcast. And today we have a little bit of a different episode for you. Since we've been moving around and starting on your assignments and there's a new school year that's been getting off the ground at the seminary, the five of us have had a hard time making our schedules lined up. And so we don't have a conversation to share with you, but we do have two homilies by Abba Jeremy, a snippet of which you heard in the introduction. The first homily was given on August 27th during the opening mass of the school year, the 2018 to 2019 school year. And the second homily was given on September 8th on the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that was also the occasion when four of Mount Angel's novices made their simple profession of monastic vows. So you hear those two homilies by Abba Jeremy Driscoll. And just a little bit of context in the part in the beginning of the first homily, you hear Abba Jeremy say, this is not our church, Your Excellency, followed by some laughter. And that was because that day they met in the school's gymnasium because the Abbey Church was undergoing some renovation. You're also going to hear him say this. It takes courage to be in a seminary in this time and in this atmosphere. But more than courage is needed. All these gifts of the Spirit are needed. And we're begging God for these gifts today in this Holy Mass. Well, without further ado, we bring you two homilies by Abba Jeremy Driscoll. Dear friends, before I begin my homily, I want to welcome Archbishop Timothy Broglio of the Archdiocese for Military Services USA. He's our guest in these days. His work uh, in the military ordinariate takes him to every part of the country. And we're so happy that he can be with us today at the opening of the school year. This is not... <laughs> this is not our church, Your Excellency. <laughs> Though the church is where we gather. And so this is our church. I address myself to you, Monsignor Betchert, and to all the faculty and staff of the seminary, and to the seminarians, and to our employees who are with us today, and to many friends and supporters of the seminary. We are celebrating the votive mass of the Holy Spirit at the opening of the school year, imploring the descent of the Holy Spirit upon our hilltop to impart his wondrous gifts in all that we will undertake in this new school year. That's a lovely thought. But listen again 
to the stern words of the Apostle Paul from the first reading. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. A huge struggle gets underway whenever someone seriously undertakes to live as a Christian, to walk by the Spirit. And that is presumably what we all are doing here in this seminary, in this monastery, or involved in any way in this hilltop's work. What does Paul mean, do not gratify the desires of the flesh? His concern is this, the desires of the flesh war against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other, he says, so that you are not able to do what you want. This is the huge struggle that gets underway whenever anyone begins to follow Christ and instead live by the Spirit. The works of the flesh are obvious, St. Paul says. You know that the Bible speaks also in a very positive way with the word flesh. The word became flesh and dwells among us. And yet Paul uses the word in a different way and defines it in this reading. The works of the flesh are obvious, he says. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. And the like. He could go on and on. And this is a list, it's a terrible list, of the kinds of problems you find in any human community. Is a human community deeply in need of the salvation we have in Christ, which is walking by the Spirit. And it's not this. We in the church in this country begin this school year under a cloud. We are all shamed by the behavior of priests and bishops. And I don't need to make my comments on that. But for us, here and now, in this seminary, we would do well to understand the problem as best we can, as deeply as possible, with the help of these inspired words of St. Paul. We see that we are all at risk. We need to listen to the apostle. The guilt and sin of any one of us affects the whole body. And we see it happening. But by the same token, the holiness and virtue 
of any one of us also belongs to the whole body. And so these inspired words come to us as a warning and as an exhortation. I warn you, the Apostle Paul says, as I did before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it's more than a warning. It's an exhortation. So if we want to make a contribution to the church, if we do, want to make a contribution to the church in this time of crisis, then we can do so by putting aside within ourselves the works of the flesh and taking up instead by the gift of God's generous mercy offered to us, taking up instead the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These gifts are marvelous, and they will seem beyond our reach if we think of them as rooted in our own efforts. But these are the things given us by God through the Holy Spirit. And yet there is a condition for receiving these gifts, these fruits. Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It takes courage to be in a seminary in this time and in this atmosphere. And I admire you guys for risking it. It also takes courage for us in charge of your formation to continue to be a part of us. And my admiration is directed there, too. But more than courage is needed. All these gifts of the Spirit are needed. And we are begging God for these gifts today in this Holy Mass. At times, when we do something courageous, we become afraid. Jesus offers a solution to that. Jesus comes to those who are afraid. And we heard that in the gospel this morning. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear. This is us. Disciples. Fear. Trying to do something courageous. In that condition, Jesus comes and stands among us and says, Peace be with you. I'm not describing just then, I'm describing now, this moment, in the church, in this church. Peace be with you. And then the text tells us, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them what? 
He showed them his crucifixion. He showed him what earned our innocence in him. So this risen Lord is the crucified one. And those who follow Christ have crucified their flesh with him in their passions and desires. So Jesus is here and says, peace be with you. And then he goes on and says something remarkable. He says, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. This is huge. How can that be? In the same way that Jesus comes forth eternally from the Father into the world. In that way, he sends us forth from himself into the world. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So these gifts of the Spirit, who wouldn't want them? These gifts of the Spirit are given us by the risen Lord, the crucified risen Lord, breathing life and courage into his church. This sacred liturgy enacts all of this here and now. This gospel describes Jesus' presence in this assembly and Jesus' action on the altar. We place our poor lives into the hands of the priest by bringing forward our gifts of bread and wine. And Jesus comes and breathes the Holy Spirit over them. And they are transformed into his body and blood. They are given to us as food. They are given to us as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are given to us as our being sent, just as he was sent. We are beginning a big project today. A school year opens. It's a lot of work, a lot of study, learning to live together in love, preparing ourselves for the service of God's people, and underlying and accompanying and overlaying every bit of work and study and thought and prayer together, there's got to be prayer, all kinds of prayer. Prayer that praises God for his magnificence and beauty and endless mercy. And prayer that begs every day for divine strength for tasks beyond our strength, but to which we are mysteriously called anyway. Prayers that intercede for our troubled world and for our troubled church and praise for peace in every land and in every heart. We want to begin this big project, this school year, we want to begin it with gladness and hope because God is infinitely merciful. 
together with many other sinners and fools, we can go to heaven too. We can share in the divine communion. This is the joyful news that is entrusted to us. No, you don't remain a sinner and a fool and just go to heaven anyway. Changing our lives is possible. Growing and learning is possible. Holiness is possible for sinners and fools. Why? How? Because in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Immense is God's mercy. Lavish are his graces. Immense is God's mercy. Lavish are his graces. My dear novices, you have heard the word of God and you respond now by professing monastic vows. You were consecrated to God in baptism. You seek to deepen that consecration by vowing to live in stability, conversion to the monastic way of life and obedience. This is a good response to the word of God. The Holy Spirit has formed it in you. And according to our custom here at Mount Angel, you make your profession on the Feast of the Nativity of Mary. This is a traditional date for our profession because the monks at Mount Angel have wanted to put their monastic profession under the protection of Mary and to understand their monastic vocation in the light of the Marian mystery. So, dear novices about to make vows, and dear confreres who have made your profession already, and dear students and friends who are with us, listening to me as an abbot speak to his monks, let's all together ponder the monastic vocation and vows in the light of today's joyful feast. The city of Portland is a pretty nice place as far as cities go. I think some of its special charm is that a river runs through it. This is true of a good many cities. A river can define a city's character and quarters the Potomac for Washington, the Charles for Boston, the Seine for Paris, the Tiber for Rome. And the psalmist tells us, a river gladdens the city of God. The city of God is this monastery, and a river runs through it. Right through the middle, there flows from the pierced side of Christ, blood and water, and it never ceases to flow. It gladdens us, and it flows within each one of us as well. 
For Jesus said, whoever believes in me from within him, rivers of living water shall flow. Today, we visit and celebrate the headwaters of this river, the birth of the Virgin Mary. We use the mysterious prophecy of Micah in the first reading to ponder with wonder how far upstream lie the workings that prepare our city's full-flowing river. Mary, a daughter of David, Bethlehem, quote, from whom shall come forth one whose origin is of old from ancient times. The prophet speaks here of David, no, but of more, of something further back still, of Ruth and Boaz, Obed, their son, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Headwaters way back there, dear novices, all converging on you and on us in this feast and in your profession of monastic vows on this feast. This is something lovely and amazing. But from these headwaters in today's gospel, we arrive at the place where the river begins to flow especially strong, the announcement of the birth of Jesus. There are no gospel accounts, naturally enough, of Mary's birth, which we celebrate today. And so the liturgy chooses as a gospel text to focus on the scene in which the woman born today is proclaimed to be with child by the Holy Spirit. An angel reveals this to Joseph, pointedly addressing him as Joseph, son of David. The significance of this title becomes more clear when we note that the passage we read follows immediately from the long list of names that forms the genealogy of Jesus a list that underlines a phrase with special importance, this one. Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed became the father of Jesse, the father of David, the king. And at the end of this list, as it goes on from there, we find Joseph, the husband of Mary. The angel tells him, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that her child has been conceived. Sweet and gentle headwaters are now flowing strongly. And then Joseph, precisely because he is a descendant of David, is commissioned to give the child a name. And whatever the name shall be, the name will include the title son of David, because Jesus, because Joseph is a son of David, and so Jesus will be son of David. A name reveals the essence of, uh, of someone's very person. Mary's child is to be called Jesus. Jesus, the angel, explains, because he will save his people from their sins. But he has another name as well, which reveals yet more. He shall be named Emmanuel, a name which means God is with us. God is with us in Jesus. Mary carries him. 
Joseph names him. He is son of God and son of David. Why am I going into all this on the day of your monastic profession? Because the birth of Mary and the birth of Jesus can give you an essential key to the deepest meaning of your monastic vocation. St. Ignatius of Antioch, in his letter to the Ephesians, writes a strange line that is worth a brief scrutiny. He says, quote, three mysteries to be cried out were worked in the silence of God. The virginity of Mary, the birth of her offspring, and the death of the Lord, all crafted from the silence of God, end quote. Mysteries, he calls these three things. That means there is something hidden there, something going on that we can't see or hear, something silent, indeed the very silence of God. But he says these mysteries are to be cried out, that is, the deeds whose meaning were hidden are now understood in their significance and press from within to be cried out. Dear, li- dear novices, your lives as monks are meant to be deeply immersed in the silence of God, in a pondering of his mysteries. I'm speaking to the whole monastic community now. But there should be in you a drive to cry out what is detected in this silence. Not to cry out with words or shouts, but rather a life lived in such a way that your whole bearing and being cry out a witness to the Christian mysteries. You feel the river that flows within all those who believe in Jesus, for it flows in you. You know its headwaters in the birth of his mother and in all of her and Joseph's ancestors. Your lives must proclaim by their fruit what your vows declare today, stability in remaining anchored inside these mysteries, obedience to those entrusted with shaping your lives into the pattern of the Lord's death, fidelity to the monastic way of life. No one sees or hears the way in which these vows will work silently within you. But I repeat, they are meant little by little to cause your whole bearing and being to cry out in witness to what God has done and is doing for us in Christ Jesus. The ritual within which you make your vows is placed within the liturgy of the word is placed between the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. You respond to the word and you bring your vows as an offering to this altar to be joined to Christ's own sacrifice. One of the mysteries that Ignatius lists being worked in the silence of God is the mystery of the Lord's death. The Eucharist itself is that mystery. 
The reality of the Lord's death and his resurrection is hidden within the signs of bread and wine. And after your offering is transformed into the body and blood of Christ, we will cry out that mystery, the mystery of faith. You have communion in that mystery. When from the altar on which you place your vows, you receive the Lord's body and blood as his response to your gift. As you receive him, your heart silently cries out Thomas's words as he touched the wounds of the risen Jesus, exclaiming, my Lord and my God. This is the mystery that your whole bearing and being must cry out. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God with us. So let us proceed to enact your response to the word of God and to bring your gift of self now to the altar for consecration and for transformation. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, where you will receive notices about new episodes, including occasional bonus content, updates from the seminarians, images with quotes from Abba Jeremy that you can share on social media, and also our new segment called Words from the Fathers, where we share a bit of wisdom from one of the church fathers usually connected to the episode. You can sign up by visiting our website, www.theologyatmountangel.com, theologyatmtangel.com. <laughs>